0: Amen. How's everyone doing today? Wow, good, good to see you're all awake. Is this thing on? Oh, okay, good, good. Um, that wasn't a slight, sorry, I just couldn't hear myself. Um, all right, so hey, if you've been with us for uh, uh, last week, you're, you know that we're going through a sermon series on Advent and we're continuing that Advent sermon series. And today, if you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Isaiah 7. Uh, verses ten through fourteen, and as we, uh, if you were here for the responsive reading, as you saw, we're going to be looking at as a promise that was given um, to King Ahaz uh, to the people of God through the prophet Isaiah of, hey, there's a sign coming; a child will be given, born of a virgin. His name will be Emmanuel. That means God's God God with us. And the title of my uh, talk this morning is "We Don't Wait Alone," and that's the theme of our Advent sermon series: is this idea of waiting. And if you were here last week, you know that Jeff unpacked Romans 8, and he talked about how all of creation is is kind of waiting, it is groaning in anticipation for the second coming of Jesus, right? He talks about the already but not yet tension of our existence: that Jesus has come, and Jesus is coming again, and we're in the already, and we're in the in between, right? where the kingdom of God has broken in, he's ransomed us from darkness, he's redeemed us, and yet we're still in this sin-cursed world waiting for his second coming. And so what Jen, uh, not, not, not my wife did not preach last week, what Jeff looked at, uh, talked about last week, was, uh, was uh, um, this idea of um, our waiting is not wasted because of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And, and we are not those who wait without hope. And, and the reason my, my title this morning is We Don't Wait Alone is because I think often in our, in our struggles, in our trials, in our waiting, we have this sense. We won't articulate it out loud, but we have this sense that, hey God, where are you? Right? God, you've left me. You've abandoned me. I am all alone in my waiting. And yes, you've given, uh, us, me, given, given me your sweet promises of you, of you coming again, but but where is your presence, we, we doubt his presence with us. And what we see, what we see with this promise of the coming Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, God with us, we see is both his person and his work, his identity, that this Jesus is God with us. And then what we also see is the work he came to do wrapped up in that name Emmanuel. The work that Jesus Christ came to do is the reconciliation of all of creation back to the Father, so that God could be with us. Because I think the lesson we're gonna be looking at this morning is that um, what we need to learn, what we need to uh, understand and really kind of tattoo in our hearts, for lack of a better term, is this, is that we are not alone in our waiting. We're not alone in our waiting because this God, this Jesus, is with us. And see, sometimes in our theology, we think it was uh, God who was with us, and God who will one day be with us. But the good news of the gospel is yes and amen to both of those, that God was with us and God will be with us. But the great and glorious and unthinkable, unfathomable news of the gospel is that God is with us presently in this room, in the hearts of every single believer. That's the work that Christ came to do. And if I could summarize the gospel down to one word, that word would be Emmanuel, a one-word summary of the gospel. God with us. The very work this Jesus came to do. So let's pray and we'll dive in here. <clears throat> uh, Father, we come before you like that video we watched, rejoicing at your <laughs> unfathomable, unthinkable grace. Oh, you're so good. You're just you're just so good. And thank you for just the joy it is to just proclaim your glory this morning through your word and how faithful you are. You keep your word. You keep your promises to a wayward people. You're so gracious, and you're so present with us. Ah, So pray, Holy Spirit, you come, and you'd apply this word to our hearts and our minds. Help us to see Jesus present with us as close as he can possibly get to us, Lord. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And I pray, uh, Jesus, that you would you'd be magnified. You'd be glorified. And that I would decrease up here and you would increase. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, before we dive into uh, Isaiah 7 10 through 14, we have to understand the historical context to understand what's going uh, on here, where the, the date. Is around 735 uh, BC, and the kingdom of God is divided. It's no longer a united monarchy. It's divided north and south. So you have Israel in the north, and then you have Judah in the south. And the the uh, roughly around this time, there's this threat of impending doom. It's this westward expansion of this ferocious Assyrian empire. We we'll call it the Assyrian avalanche is coming. Okay, and Israel and Judah are in the wake of this avalanche. And so what Israel does. Um, is uh, in the north, is they start kind of an anti-Assyrian alliance with some other countries. So you have Israel and Syria who link up, and then they have some other smaller countries, and they're like, hey, with our powers combined, we might stand a chance against Assyria. So it wasn't Israel aligning themselves with Assyria. It was Syria. So Israel and Syria are are uh, start this triple A pact, the anti-Assyrian alliance. Uh, Israel is uh, is ruled by King Pekah in the north, and Syria, uh, King Rezin. And what they do to Judah in the south is, as they form this alliance, is they man they're just so full of grace and love, right? They're not they're wicked kings. Um, they they go to their neighbor in the south, Judah, and they say, Hey man, come join our cool pact. We're gonna we're gonna you know like stand a you know punch a seer right in the face, come join our, our pack, right? That's, that was the offer to Judah and, uh, and King Ahaz. And uh, it's kind of a similar situation. When I was in elementary school, man, I rolled with a tough crowd. Like, no joke, all right? So second, no, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> second grade, I was hanging out with uh, my friends, and as you know this, like when you're younger, if you're hanging out with siblings you have older siblings the older siblings always want to hang out with you because they want to rule the roost right so we're all hanging out in my friend's house and then you have the one alpha who rises up kind of like a lord of the fly situation and he rises up we're playing in the backyard and they had new new neighbors move in that week from texas okay and so we had our cool alliance you know fairfax city boys and you know all this stuff and we graciously the leader of the pack's like let's go invite the they had a, the neighbors had a kid around our age and uh son and so we go knock over the door, leave the pack, you know, knocks and asks, hey, can so-and-so come play with us, right? And the dad, being a wise dad, said no. You're not going to go play with those hooligans next door. So we, we, uh, we, you know, graciously, I guess, leave as we were graciously denied our gracious invite. And we go in the backyard. And then this man, he kind of does like, a, he rallies the troops. And he's like, how dare he? How dare he, you know, like uh, not accept our invite. And so you know what he, he got all of us to do? And, and to this day, I still don't know if I did this or not, if I was just a passive observer, but we all got rocks, and we chucked them at the house until we broke the dude's window, (laughs) shattered his window, like, you don't want to hang out with us? Oh, yeah, well, there's a rock in your living room, Um, and uh, that's kind of what's happening here in in 735 BC with Israel, right, just on a much grander scale, where uh, Israel and Syria graciously invite Judah to come hang out with them, uh, and Judah doesn't. King Ahaz doesn't. And so they attack. They're they're like, all right, we declare war on you in the south. We're gonna weaken our army as Assyria comes. It's pretty crazy. And in the midst of all that mess, in the midst of all that mess, the Lord sends a prophet to a wicked idolatrous king. King Ahaz over Judah. And the prophet Isaiah says this, face to face, he meets King Ahaz face to face and he says essentially, don't join the pact, trust in God, he will take care of you and he will take care of his people. Don't join, trust in God, he'll take care of you and your people. In our text is a continuation of the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of the Lord to King Ahaz. And so with that context in mind, let's dive into verse 10 through 11. We're going to kind of go verse by verse here. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. This verse is crazy. It's easy for us to read past this verse and not um, understand how absolutely mind-blowing this uh, uh, request is. Essentially, what God does through Isaiah is hands Ahaz a blank check. The blank check. Fill in any sign you want maybe as low as Sheol and as high as heaven, fill in the blank. And um, side note, if a prophet of the living God ever grants you that request, just ask for a sign. Please, would you do all of us a favor and do that? But why is, why is God doing this? God in his grace, the reason God is granting this sweet grace to Ahaz is he's, he's, in a way, he's reassuring his people, right? He's given, earlier on, he's given Ahaz his word. And he's saying, I'll take care of you, I got you, don't join, trust in me, I got, I got my people, we, we, I, we got this thing covered. You don't need to align yourself with, with wicked kings, right? And then on top of my word, I'm gonna verify that. I'm gonna reassure you with a sign, right? If there was any doubt in your mind, let me reassure you with that. And then verse 12, the unthinkable happens. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Um, and this is such a laughable response because what we know about King Ahaz is he doesn't give a rip about testing the Lord, right? Because he, he's an idolatrous king, right? He doesn't, he doesn't love God. Uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't love and shepherd the people of God like a, a, kingly, uh, a, a, a king should over the people of God. He doesn't do that, right? He's been testing the Lord through his disobedience his entire life. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, what comes out of his mouth, all of a sudden, King Ahaz, this idolatrous king is like a scripture, quote, impar- a Puritan, right? Like, ah, oh, I, will, I will, the scripture says, you know, do not put the Lord to the test and I won't, I won't do it. And so what we see here with this is that King Ahaz is using scripture as an excuse for his disobedience of what God said and doubts as to what God can do. Simply put, Ahaz is using God's word against God himself. Catch that? King Ahaz is using God's clearly articulated word through the prophet against God himself, or, 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 or disobeying the clear word with a, a misinterpreted word over here. Does that make sense? using God's word against God himself so he can justify his disobedience to God and his lack of faith. And the problem with that, there's many problems with that, but for us today, I think we do this all the time. We do this all the time. We will flex exterior righteousness all day. I mean, I quote in scriptures left and right. And then when the Bible tells us to go and, you know, go to all nations and share the love you have with your neighbor, share the hope of Jesus with other people, we say, ah, God, you're sovereign. You got that taken care of. I don't need to do that. Get out of evangelism free card, right? God's sovereignty, right? Or how about, how, about, uh, how about this? How about generosity? How about giving? How about financial stewardship, right? Um, often, uh, what I have seen is we, there's something to be said of stewarding the, the resources God has given you well, right? That's godly, that's biblical. And yet often, I think what if you, as I've been reading through Matthew and Luke, as we go through the CBR, often what you find Jesus doing is saying things like, don't lay up your treasures here on earth where moth and uh, uh, rust destroy, but in heaven, and Jesus calls us to radical generosity, of this idea of everything you're given by God, including your finances, is to be given away for the kingdom of God or stored up for the advancement of the kingdom of God, right? But yet what we'll do is we'll quote these verses about, oh, financial stewardship and all stuff, I have nothing against that. That's great. But oftentimes we use that, and I'm preaching to myself here, if you know anything about me, we use that as an excuse, as an excuse to have an uh, uh, unyielded territory in our heart to God when he calls us to be radically generous. You tracking with me? So we, we flex like that all the time with King Ahaz, using God's word against himself, cherry picking the verses we like, and then kind of creating a theology where we don't have to obey the other ones. You tracking with me? And that's what King Ahaz is doing. And maybe too, it's not just for King Ahaz. Maybe it's not just his, his disobedience. Maybe it's also his doubt. Maybe it's also his doubt. Maybe we, we don't want to you know, read too much into this, but oftentimes, maybe, maybe Ahaz is thinking this when Isaiah grants him, the Lord grants him through Isaiah this crazy request. Come on. There's no way God could do that. There's no way God still does that. That's a stupid, silly, childish prayer. I'm a king. And I'm not going to look like a fool praying for that. Right? And what that reveals, that thinking reveals, is a lack of faith in who. God actually is and what he's capable of doing, right? And oftentimes when, we, when we're praying, um, uh, when we're not praying prayers like this, it's because we don't know who our God is. When we're, when we're praying, um, uh, 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 what, what I would ask is, is, is what are we praying for? And what do our prayers reveal about who we, who we know our God to be? You tracking with me? Once we know who our God is, man, well, someone says, hey, Lord told me you to ask for a sign, high, lowest lowest shield, highest heaven. You jump up and down and say, well, how many signs can I, how many signs can I give? Because I see what my God can do, right? It changes, it changes, man. Once you know, man, once you know your God, once you know how close he is to you, once you know what he's capable of, changes everything, man. You'll fire away. You'll be writing that check you know, as fast as you can. Returning to our text, Ahaz doesn't even swing at the pitch. The prophet hands him this uh, slow pitch softball. All he has to do is swing, and he doesn't swing. And this is Isaiah's response, verse 13. And Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also, right? I would love to have been there, been a fly in the wall. Like, I'm sure Isaiah's like, you, you gotta be kidding me, bro. You got to be kidding me, really? Like just face palm, like this is ridiculous. And then look at verse 14. I love, love, love verse 14. We could be here for five hours. We're going to be here for four talking about this. So therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the beauty of this church, oh, the beauty of this, the beauty of this, is that the context of one of the most beautiful, prophetic, messianic promises given in the Old Testament comes in the face of outright disobedience and distrust of God himself, right? What we see here is a couple of things. We see the beauty of God's grace, the beauty of God's posture. Ahaz says no, and God says yes. Ain't that the gospel, Right? Isn't that the gospel? Humanity says no, and yet our God says yes. Yes. That's the beauty of my story. Nick mutters, oh, time and time again, says no. No, no. And voice says yes. 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 I'm coming for you, right? Oh, I love that. And and I think what we see here is that um, the, 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 the cross is just a beautiful example of this. The cross is a beautiful example of humanity's no to God's yes. And on the cross, Jesus is praying and saying yes to the very people who are putting him to death, saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. This is the gospel. God's yes to humanity's no. Love that. And then the second thing is, it's not just God's grace we see where, where, it's, where uh, uh, you know, therefore the Lord himself again speaks uh, to Ahaz and gives him another time. but we see that God's grace is a sovereign grace, that God's plans, his plans, and redempt, his redemptive story um, is not going to be thwarted due to man's rebellion, right? God's plans are not going to be thwarted due to man's rebellion. God will have his way. It wasn't like King Ahaz said no, and then God's going oh, wait, that wasn't supposed to happen. Wait, now what do I do? God's not biting his fingernails saying, wait, you were supposed to pray and now that you didn't do that, now, uh, Isaiah, tell me, what should I do? That's not our God. God says, you don't want a sign? I'll give you a sign. And here's the sign, right? Whether you ask or not, my plans will not be thwarted because my grace is sovereign. It's a sovereign grace. And this is what Gary Breshear has to say, uh, because God is sovereign over the future, He alone is capable of giving prophetic insight into the future in great grace and mercy. He did this for His people in the Old Testament. He detailed for them who was coming, to, who was coming to save them, how He would come, where He would come, when He would come, and why He would come. Is that incredible? God's sovereignty? and then his grace to give uh, the old covenant people of of God these crystal clear messianic promises, this hope that they could cling to of of who was coming, how he would come, where he would come, when he would come, and why he would come, saying, Judah, Judah, cling to this hope. Know that your waiting is not in vain. God is gracious and God is sovereign and nothing will thwart his plan and his purpose and his promise to you. And so if we fast track 700 years later, the, obviously the, the, the fulfillment of this we find in Jesus, right? In Matthew 1. And so we're going to read uh, Matthew 1. And what we see here is that God stayed true to his promise given to King Ahaz and to his people. So turn to Matthew 1 if you're in your Bibles. We're looking at 18, 18 through 23. Here i to take a uh, sip of tea here. All right. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, that she was found to be a child from the Holy Spirit. shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us and what immediately sticks out to me in Matthew 1 you know all throughout the Old Testament these messianic promises are about this king who's coming about this this divine warrior king through the lineage of David who's going to come and break off the yoke of the 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 oppressors of the people of God and he's going to reign eternally over them in justice and righteousness and peace and what sticks out to me is when read the account of the birth of this Emmanuel of Jesus Christ is, is just how he, how he entered the scene of human history. The, the humble, uh, the, in humility, enters in humility and, and in poverty. This Emmanuel was born to a young, broke couple from a no-name town, a couple that had now had the stigma of either fornication or adultery, betrothal. Their betrothal almost ended in a private divorce. I was, as I was reading Matthew 1, um, I laughed out loud. I said, "Jesus, you almost broke up a marriage, entering into human history." I said, so "Joseph being a righteous, almost resolved to hey, like there's so much there's so much shame or shame here that it was almost like a quiet divorce because Joseph was an honorable man." And uh, and then what we learned about this Emmanuel is that his at-home birth was more of an at-barn birth, um, and uh, and then not only that, his newfound family were soon to be refugees fleeing persecution this is what Philip Yancey in his wonderful book, The Jesus I Never Knew, says about the birth of Jesus. Today, as I read the accounts of Jesus' birth, I tremble to think of the fate of the world resting on the responses of two rural teenagers. How many times did Mary review the angel's words as she felt the Son of God kicking against the walls of her uterus? Nine months of awkward explanation, the lingering scent of scandal, it seems that God arranged the most humiliating circumstances possible for his entrance, as if to avoid any charge of favoritism. I am impressed that when, this, when the Son of God became a human being, he played by the rules, harsh rules. Small towns do not treat kindly young boys who grow up with questionable paternity. And so what we see with the incarnation Of Jesus Christ the divine taking on human flesh is that that incarnation is representation there is no salvation without incarnation which is representation and so what that is what the incarnation is is Jesus is uh, and, and I love that line he's he's playing by the rules in order for God to be with us God had to be made like us right and so Jesus puts on our gear puts on our jersey, he goes play, steps on our ice for hockey fans or our turf for everybody else, plays on our turf, and he wins the game that we were destined to lose. And then he comes out victorious, grants us that victory and all the blessings that come through his work on the field on our behalf because of his incarnation, what he was finally able to do, what we were destined to fail at doing. He enters in and he plays by the same rules that we are bound to, and Paul Miller um, calls. Uh, hold on a second. Paul Paul Miller um, calls the incarnation the descent of love. The descent of love. True love descends. That's what we see what Jesus is doing. Is he descends to where we're at, so he can deliver us from the darkness we're in, and ascend up to him, right, so that he can be with us, and uh, so. My family, we have, a, my parents have a, a cabin in the Shenandoah Valley, and Jen's family grew up in the Shenandoah Valley. Her her dad was a, like, a forest ranger for 30 years. He knows the Shenandoah Valley like, um, like, I know my coffee shops in this area, okay? So um, he, he so, so he knows of this cave, like, he was putting out fires, forest fires one day and, you know, working, and then they found, they discovered this, like, cave that was off the beaten path, all this stuff, so uh, a couple years ago, he, uh, took us to this cave, and it's something that we show our family and everything, but um, it's pretty cool. You, 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 you hike a bunch, you walk a bunch, and then you got to kind of like go through all these woods, go up this hill, and then as you go up this hill, and then all of a sudden you discover that there's just like this small, narrow opening, and it's just like a, just all dark in there, right? And uh, and, and, and when, you, when you go in there, you have to literally descend at least like three feet. There's a ledge you kind of slide into, and then you're standing on solid ground, but the, the, the opening is narrow, and then it's all like mud but cool like stalagmites and stalactites. You know, anyone here been spelunking before caving? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, basil, of course, of course. Um, and so, so we went with uh, my sister and her family and her kids uh, uh, like three years ago. Took, you know took the whole family to go caving. What could be more fun than that? And so I'm the first in, because I'm showing them they haven't been before, and I kind of, you know, roll in and slide in and uh, rustle all these leaves, and all of a sudden, as I get in, the, 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 I'm standing, and this is like where the, the entrance is, and now where I came from is like right here, and there's the cave wall, and my back is to this wall, and at the cave wall, all of a sudden, I'm looking, and here's this, this black and white snake just chilling right here, and I'm looking at it, and I, and I say, I, I, I think I had this thought where I go, I was in the middle of my Greek studies. I go, I know how to parse Greek verbs. I have no idea what to do in this situation right now, right? Like, I'm just, I'm like, I don't know what to do. I can't go down there. There's mud and a cliff there, and I can't go back up. This thing's going to attack me. Anyways, my brother-in-law in the clutch, he grabbed a stick, and we did like a, you know, passed the snake to him, and then he took care of the snake. If you want to learn about that, I'll tell you later how he did that. It was pretty awesome. But you get in the cave and it's dark. There's snakes, there's bats, there's danger, the threat of danger. You're going to slip and fall in the mud. It's going to be disgusting and, 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 and dark and all this stuff. And, and, and here's what I'm getting with that is as you look into that, uh, there's a decision point where you're looking into the cave and there has to be this. Because you, you, as, as I was studying for this sermon, I asked myself, why in the world would I go in that cave? Why would I do that? Why would anyone do that? There has to be, there has to be a desire a joy set before you, if you will, that supersedes everything that comes with that cave. Right? That's, that's the descent. The descent is, I'll go where it's dark, I'll, I'll go face the danger of the snakes and the, and the you know, whatever, the, the danger involved, the coldness, the darkness, the utter darkness. I'll take all of that on because there's a joy set before me. I still don't know what that joy was for me in the story, but I know what the joy was for Jesus. It says in Hebrews 12, 2, when he descended into our darkness, the joy that was set before him says, says this in Hebrews twelve two for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross and despised the shame. And, and, and maybe the joy that was set before this Jesus, this Emmanuel, was him being with us and us being with him. So he descends to where we are to rescue us from this darkness. He carries us out of the cave, cleans us up, and restores us to full union and communion with our Heavenly Father. And Isaiah 9-2, another messianic promise about this Emmanuel says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So now we're going to kind of shift gears here and talk about what does it mean for God to be uh, with us. And there's some debate here, um, not necessarily debate, but some of the definitions I found were kind of frustrating of what does it mean for God to be with us. And there were these vague kind of distant definitions of what that means. And I had this crazy thought as I was preparing uh, my sermon. Here's a crazy thought of what it means when, when Scripture says uh, that God is with us. Maybe it means, Maybe it means God is with us. Right? I mean, right? Maybe, just maybe. And so here, here's, here's what I'm getting at. This is the insanity of the gospel, right? And this is why we, we, we have so much theology to keep God at a distance that we don't truly understand how close he is to us. And that's the insanity of this gospel. This holy, eternal, righteous, uh, uh, all-powerful creator and Lord over all and his grace and love to us descends to us now and is now chosen to dwell in and among his people and the problem is it's hard to believe so we develop a theology that downplays his present presence in our lives and therefore listen and therefore when we do that listen we cheapen the very heart behind and the sacrificial actions of Emmanuel himself when the chief when the, like one of the chief reasons he came and did everything he did for us and endured the cross was so that he could be with us and then we go and create a theology where this is too weird and so then we keep him at a distance and we cheapen his work and we cheapen his heart's desire. We're where right where you are, church, is right where he wants to be. He wants to invade your space. That's the work he came to do. It's the work he came to do. And then, uh, that kind of freaks us out. We don't want to get too weird. I don't know. You know, maybe, uh, maybe he's present, but is he, is he really, is he really uh, that present? And so our gospel, what happens now is that our gospel story, it stops at, at, at Acts 1. It stops at the ascension of Jesus, and we never make it to Acts 2 we never make it to Pentecost, right? And so there's a kid song that, uh, sorry, my, my voice is, is gone. Um, there's a kid song that plays against my will in our car whenever we're driving with our kids. Um, and the song is this, one of the songs is this, where is Jesus now? Something like that, in heaven, in heaven. And I'm like, okay, yeah, if anyone here has kids, you know the uh, I love Jesus songs, but when it's the 15th time you're hearing it, it's, uh, anyways, so that song kind of frustrated me because it's, it's, it's half true, right? Where is Jesus now in in heaven? Yes, Ephesians 1, baby, all day resurrected at the right hand above all rule and power and authority and uh, dominion over all. Yeah, Ephesians 1, Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And yet, let's see uh, what Jesus himself has to say about that. Where is Jesus now? And also what uh, the rest of God's Word says, John 14, 16 through 18. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus Christ, before he goes to the cross, he tells his disciples, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm coming to you. The Holy Spirit is going to be given. The Holy Spirit who dwells in you is going to be with you forever. Go change the world because I am with you till the end of the age. What's an orphan? Jesus said, well, what's an orphan? It's somebody who was there, but no longer is. You tracking with me? And Jesus is saying, church, you are not alone. You are not alone in your waiting. I'm not leaving my bride, the church, as orphans. It's not God who was here, God who will here will be here, but it's God who's also present, Emmanuel, God with us right here in this room right now. 2 Corinthians 6, 16. For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, look, look, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God has chosen, think about this, God has chosen to make you and I his dwelling. And he wants to. Galatians 2, 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Jesus Christ who lives where? In me, in my little daughter's heart. Romans 8.11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Galatians 4.6, and because you are sons of God, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. If you're here today, you've been crying out some prayers to your heavenly father, that's because he's granted you the beautiful grace of his indwelling presence in your life to cry out to your father and call him Papa, Papa, Father in heaven. And so to answer the question of that kid's song, where is Jesus now? Transit Church, he's as close as he possibly can be to you and to me. That's where he is. Yes, he's in heaven now, and yes, in a mysterious way, our uh, uh, all-present God is here among us and in us as well. And here's a crazier thought. It's not just that this Emmanuel is with us. Some, for some of us, that's easy to, to understand. Here's a, here's a harder, harder truth to accept maybe he's with us because he wants to be with us. Maybe he's with us because he loves you. Maybe he's with us because he delights in you and sings over you. Songs of victory. James 4, 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? God yearns yearns for you, yearns for his bride. And this shouldn't surprise us, given the height and the depth and the length that Jesus went on the cross. You're doubting what, I, what I'm, what's, what's being preached up here. Look to the cross, right? And look at Emmanuel, God with us, and what Jesus accomplished. And the joy that was set before him was, was his presence, calling his people back into his presence forever. That's what we get when we get this Jesus, when we get this gospel, is we don't get our get out of hell you know, free card. We get the presence of God in heaven forever. So I'll, I'll slowly wrap up with this. I might um, be asking, well, what does it look like to not wait alone? How does this change our, our waiting? Um, I had the, I had the, my wife and I, Jen, had the blessing of being able to pray for someone. Someone's was over at our house, a family member, and they're just hanging out. And then as they were talking, it was kind of cool. As the conversation segued into uh, uh, some personal stuff, right? And, um, and 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 this person has been through the ringer as far as health issues, and was communicated to me before I was I was prompted by the Lord to to ask if we could pray for this person. Is, is, with all of my health issues, the, the surgery, this, the, the C. diff, the, the fractured uh, 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 vertebrae and sacrum and all this stuff, God has abandoned me. Where is God? And if God is present, this must be his punishment. All of the, I mean, the person's been through the ringer, been through the ringer church with all this stuff. And so Lord, like I, yeah, I was like, all right, well, hey, can, can, can you do Jen and I the honor of just sitting down uh, on the couch. And, and this, is how, this is what the, the prayer time was going to be, was, was, hey, you sit there. I'm going to, we're not going to do, I'm not going to do a quick, like, Jesus loves you. Boom. It's we're going to, we're going to camp out here for a little bit and see what God has to uh, say to you. And so um, as I'm praying, church, because God is so present, this is, this is all the Lord's grace to me is what I'm realizing. He's so present in here through the indwelling of his spirit in, in our lives that you can be praying for someone and instead of wanting them to, to hear your words, you pause and you say, Lord, what do you want to say to this person? Lord, what do you want this person to know? Right? And, and church, I got to be honest, like he shows up and he'll start whispering. to you. And, and, and I've started to, to do that and he'll give me one word, one word, one word. I've never had this happen before when I prayed this prayer. And the Lord, man, the Lord just showed up in power. I had the most crystal clear and, and powerful image that I've, I've ever received for anyone I've been praying for. It was almost like this, this movie as I'm As I'm praying, um, uh, I get this picture of this girl. She loves horses, loves riding horses. And she's galloping on this field, just galloping on this field, beautiful day out on, out on her farm. And, and, and there's Jesus. And I've never, I get church, this is the first time for me. I've never had this happen. There's Jesus, clear as day, leaning on the fence, beaming smiling, I have never, mark words, I've never seen someone with that much delight in another person than that man on the fence beaming over that girl on the horse. Just blissful contentment and love and adoration and delight for just being in the presence of that girl on the horse. And, and, and then and then in, the, in the image of God, she slows down to a, a trot and then Jesus is there just walking by her side, just walking by her side, not, not like leading the horse, just, just present with her. I get this. I get like cracked open by the Holy Spirit. I'm breaking down. I'm trying to communicate what I'm seeing to her. And then, and then, and then what I'm saying is, girl, 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 he's with you. He's at the farm with you. I see that this is what I'm seeing. I'm saying, Lord, help her to see what I'm seeing. He's, he's, he's closer than you can ever imagine. And then, and then as this is unfolding, I'm saying, wait, 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 wait. This, is, this happened on Wednesday, church. And, and uh, as I'm praying, as I'm, as I'm prepping for the sermon, I said, wait, wait, wait. It's not just that he's with you. Call her by name. It's not just that he's with you, but he, he's happy to be with you. He delights to be with you. He's beaming in love and affection for you. Do you understand this? He has not left you alone. You're not alone. You think you're alone. You're not alone. He's closer than you could ever, ever imagine. And we all got, I mean, Holy Spirit showed in power. We got wrecked. And that changed her, her week up until now. I want to say her life. I think it changed her life. Jesus coming in a powerful way and saying, I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. I am with you always to the end of the day because I am Emmanuel. I'm a God who makes his dwelling place amongst his people. I am with you. And I got a text a couple days later, and I broke down, man. Just, I, just, I just wept when I got this. And there's a lot of context behind this. Um, but uh, she says, I walk at the farm now with my hand out. Oh, Oh, man. Sorry. Uh Mercy. To grasp his. I walk at the farm now with my hand out to grasp his. Oh, what a beautiful picture, man. What a beautiful picture. That's life-changing stuff right there. And that's how close Jesus is. That's how close he is, man. That's how powerful he is and present he is. The God of all creation making his dwelling place among us. And that's what he does to his people. So I'm making eggs this morning. I don't know how to wrap this thing up. And I'm, as I'm making eggs, I know God is present. I got my worship on, man. I'm gearing up, man. I'm, I, it was a, it's a good morning today because I'm in Jesus Christ. And man, I just, he's wrecking my world recently. And I'm saying, Lord, I don't know how to wrap this thing up. Can you help me out? Can you give me a conclusion? Like how, do I, how do I come for full circle with this thing? minutes later, I'm doing my eggs, and I get this prompting: "Hey, go to your day one journal app. I got something to share with you there." And this is this is all this morning, right? This is like bottom of the ninth. I don't know how I'm closing this thing out, type of situation. And uh, but but by the way, I got a text earlier this week from my my faithful wife, who's on fire for Jesus and loves him. It sent me a text about just full confidence in who God is. It's not in your own ability. It's confidence in who God is. And so I went I went to bed fully confident that the Lord was going to have His way. And he's going to have his way. And he showed up. And I kid you not, so a year ago today, a year ago today on my app, that's like, you know, if, if you have a day one journal app, it, it tracks every year and it reminds you of, of certain things. Um, I was led to this picture. The very first thing I saw was this picture from this devotional that, uh, by Paul Tripp. And it's all about God's presence. And it's the perfect way, in my opinion, to summarize uh, this sermon. I believe it's from the Lord. So please listen, and I will conclude with this you have been raised, oh, you have been given Christ. And in being given Christ, you have been given life. Listen, you don't need to search for meaning and purpose. You don't need to search for identity. You don't need to look for something to give you the inner sense of well-being that every person wants. You don't have to wonder if if, if, if you'll ever be loved. You don't have to wonder that anymore, church, if you'll ever be loved. You don't even know how crazy uh, in love Jesus is with you. You don't know, you have to wonder if you'll ever be loved. You don't have to worry that your life and work will result in nothing. You don't have to wonder if you'll have what you need to face what will be on your plate today. You don't have to worry about your future. You will never be left to the limited range of your own researches, resources. Listen, you will never ever be left alone. You will never, ever be left alone. There is always someone who understands you and offers you the help that you need. You don't have to worry about whether your wrongs will be forgiven, your weakness is greeted with patience and grace. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. You don't have to worry because you have a Savior who has invaded your life with his grace and has made you the place where he dwells. Just catch that? I want to read that last line. It's so good. You don't have to worry because you have a Savior who has invaded your life with His grace and has made you the place where He dwells. Boom. That's how close our God is, right? That's how awesome our God is. And in His presence, it says in Psalm 16:11, "In Your presence there is fullness of joy, and at Your right hand are pleasures." forevermore. Church, let's just respond with praise. Let's just respond with adoration. Let's just respond with a sense of awe that our God, and it says in Deuteronomy, what nation is is so lucky as us to have a God so near that we can cry out to him whenever we want, and he hears us? That's literally what it says, something to that effect of like, who is as lucky as we are? Do we understand the privileges we have because of who this Emmanuel is? and what he's set out to accomplish. That he's not just God with us, but the good news of the gospel is that he loves us so much that he, he went to great heights and lengths and depths to be with us. And may we reach out uh, in faith today to the hand that's already extended to us in Jesus, who's calling us, who's calling us to more. So, so let's say yes and amen to that invite that he's offering all of us uh, today. So I'll, I'll uh, give us a, a moment for you guys to do that, and then I'll, I'll pray us out. So take a moment to go talk to your Savior. Mm-mm-mm. <clears throat> Oh, there's a lot of us in here who have some, you know, we're going through some rough stuff. Your bride is here, and maybe it's been a rough couple weeks, a couple months, maybe a rough couple of years, and um, just intercede and contend for them now that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, man, just, just, just get after them, man. Let them know how present you are with them. Let them know that their waiting is not in vain and that their waiting is not alone. That you're with them in the mess, you're with them in the valley of the shadow of death. They need not fear evil. Why? Because their good shepherd is with them. So, Holy Spirit, would you now just minister to the hearts of those present who are just broken, who they don't, they don't, they don't, um, their circumstances uh, are, are telling them lies about about you and and, you, and your posture towards them. And would you speak against those lies of the enemy right now, Holy Spirit? Would you just have your way and show them Jesus? I pray you remove scales from eyes and make the deaf hear to, to hear your voice and to see you, Jesus, in your love for your church. And of course you love us. No greater sacrifice could have been given than the precious Lamb of God slain for us so that you could be with us because you want to. And so help us to receive that. Help us to receive that with joy and adoration and rejoicing because Emmanuel, oh, God with us, Emmanuel, he has come and he is coming again and he's here with us forever, both now and forever. You're such a good God. You're such a good God. Jesus, we love you so much. And we will sing of your glory forever and your goodness forever for what you've done for us. So thank you thank you for that. And we say all of this, for all of this, in your beautiful and your precious name, Jesus. Amen.